This week, we're going to continue on unpacking 2017 and what that is prophetically and what we're sensing. Um, Deb did an amazing job unpacking. I know I'm a little biased, but hey. Um, did an amazing job unpacking uh, four invitations last Sunday, if you haven't heard the podcast yet. It is actually live on iTunes now as well as on the website. Um, you have options as to how you get it. Four different options, really. Four. You did. You had to ask. Um, so again this week and then again next week, we want to unpack just some of the prophetic stuff that we are feeling for the year and one of them will be something to do with this stand getting fixed and replaced quite possibly. Um, there are two events that have happened this year already that I feel like typify 2017. Um, one of them was Max getting out of hospital two days early. Now, he, he set a goal to be out on February 1. And three or four weeks earlier, this would be right. It wasn't looking real good, was it? It wasn't, wasn't looking particularly likely that that was going to happen. None of us wanted to say that. But we were kind of feeling like, okay, that's a pretty ambitious goal there, Max. And so the 1st of February was a Wednesday. That was the day he wanted to get out. And he was let out on the Monday two days early. That's happier than what you're indicating right now. That's really good. Um, and I, I feel like the, the significance in that is for so long, it feels like a really extended season where we're used to everything showing up late. Anyone resonate with that? Anyone kind of felt like that? Everything's showing up late. It's like we feel like the promise is now and it's months or even years down the track and maybe it's starting or maybe not. But I feel like 2017... There's an entire shift. The wind has changed and we're going to see stuff delivered early. Deb talked about a number of words last week that talked about surprise. Um, and the day of your delay is over. Um, and I feel like many of us this year are going to be surprised by things showing up early when we've been so used to delay. So get ready for good news. Get ready for surprise. So that was one of them. Max getting out two days early. The other had to do... Where's Kath gone? I know, oh, yeah, right there in front of me, of course. Um, I had a boy look. You know what that's like, you know, when you have a boy look? You... When you have a boy look, it means that you think you've looked everywhere and you can't find it. And then a female comes in and goes, it's right there. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a boy look. We, we could have sworn blindly that I looked everywhere and know it was right there in front of me. Um, so... Uh, Two Sundays ago, three Sundays ago, I think it was, Kath got baptised. And um, if you're smart like Sam, you know, you got baptised in our pool, which was heated, um, if not almost overheated, probably at that point. It was really warm. But, but the Hinchy's pool wasn't as warm. It was a little more refreshing. Um, and Kath and refreshing pools haven't had a great relationship over the years. And we're having a convo beforehand of what are we and she's like, no, no, I need to do this. I just need to do this. Um, and as she, she got baptised, I mean, obviously baptism is, is an awesome act of obedience. And, um, but it wasn't comfortable, hey. Especially, this, this wasn't at all comfortable. And one of the things I really felt prophetically that it wasn't just for you, it was a sign for us is that, um, how did I write it down? Stepping out of what is comfortable into a place of full obedience and surrender. That, that was kind of like the prophetic forerunner for the year of the things that we're looking for really lie outside our comfort zone. 
And when we're willing to take a step outside that, there's blessing. And you're really blessed, hey. And it's kind of continued on. Like the, the air's a little different. It's a little more pungent and expectant. But when we're willing to step outside the zone of what is comfortable, that's where we're really going to meet God in new and powerful ways. So that, they were two things that have happened already that I really felt signified the year. And that ain't, ain't kind of the half of what I really wanted to share as well. One of the things that I've been feeling for a couple of months leading into this year is this. And this, this is particularly for us, but I think it, it's kind of broader because we've brought in a whole lot of words you know, that are global, that are really resonating with us. But um, this one, I feel like it's definitely for us. And that is 2017 is the year for us to step into the fullness of who we really are. I'm telling you, us as individuals, now that'll mean something for us corporately, but I see us as individuals stepping into the fullness of who we really are. Not who we've claimed to be, not who we've pretended to be for years, not who we've thought we had to be, but who we actually really are. I want to um, anchor in John chapter 1, if we can. So if you have a Bible there, feel free to turn. I'm not going to read a whole lot um, from here. I just want to anchor into one story and then go off in a, in a couple of directions. So John chapter 1, verse 35. So in context, this is where John the Baptist is out there doing his thing. And this is, this is the early days of, of Jesus' ministry. Um, John is doing his thing and he sees Jesus coming and he says, look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the next day he's out again and that's where we live. This is, this is the next day. Verse 35, next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, this is the bit I want you to catch. So they're walking around. They're walking along. Jesus is walking. They're following Jesus. Jesus turns around and says to them, what do you want? Love that question. Look at their response. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Did they actually answer the question? They actually kind of sidestepped the question and said, um, where, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and you will see. And they went and they spent the whole day with him, which is a pretty good outcome. I mean, that, that's, that's not bad, you know. But here's the thing that sticks out to me there is if Jesus was to turn around to you and say, what do you want? Would you know the answer? Would you really know what you want? Because I think what they wanted was more than, I want to know where you're staying. In other words, this is a read, and I'm not saying don't base your entire theological life on this interpretation, but, but as I see it, they, they didn't know the answer to what Jesus was really asking. They missed at the point of what he was really asking, and they kind of went, uh, where are you living, dude? <laughs> Come and see. I said, it ended up good because when you're following Jesus, it, it ends up in a good place. But if Jesus were to turn around as you're following him and turn and say, what do you want? Would you know the answer? See, good religious schooling doesn't really allow for that question. It's what do you want, Lord? And that's a great question. I'm not suggesting we ignore that question. Lordship is still a deal here. But once we have settled the issue of lordship, which I believe they did when they decided to follow Jesus. He's now turning around and saying, well, what do you want? So one of the greatest, 
One of the greatest tragedies that happens in the Christian church is when we, in the name of discipleship, crucify the resurrected man. Did I make sense there? In the name of discipleship, we crucify the resurrected new creation. That's not what we're meant to crucify. It's the old creation, the old self that's meant to be crucified. And then we raise again to new life, not to be crucified again. Okay? Because the issue of lordship was dealt with back here. And sure, we keep revisiting that place of lordship relatively regularly. That, 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 that's cool. I have no problem with that. But it's from a perspective of the resurrected man is meant to come alive and fully live. We're not meant to crucify that one. Now, at a wild guess, as I'm asking that question, what do you want? There's, there may be many of us in the room that are going, there it is, that are saying, I'm kind of with the disciples. I don't know. I'm kind of happy to shift the focus to another question. And go, I, I really don't know. And one of the first things I want to say is, if you don't know the answer to that question, there's a pretty good chance it's actually not your fault. Probably not your fault. Most of us grow up and at the very worst, your unique voice, who you really are, kind of your, your unique sound, your unique roar, your un who you really are, at worst gets squashed or at best just doesn't get nurtured. And so we end up at the mercy of the expectations of just society and culture around us. Get a good job. Just get a job to start with and pay your bills. That's that kind of thing. Just whatever you have to do, just go get a degree, get a job, you can pay your bills. Kind of foundation. Um, and if you're really lucky you can get a job that pays well. Awesome. And if you're really lucky, it's too hot to do that. If you're really lucky, you'll get a job that you like. But it's kind of like the expectation of, you know, if you ask your average person, how are you feeling about going back to work tomorrow on Monday? Well, what do you expect? Most people kind of go, hmm. which is a, a fair indication that we're kind of getting sucked into the flow a whole lot of just what is expected and what is normal. We, over the course of our life, we all build up layers of self-protection. Because we don't easily... We don't easily find out who we are unless we have parents or a, or a church around us in our really formative years that are intent on calling out the real you. Most of us don't have that or didn't have that. And so we've kind of thought, well, discipleship is, well, I have to be obedient. And it's, it's like a moral imperative of be a good person, do the right thing, don't say bad stuff about people. You know, don't cut people off in traffic. And if people cut you off in traffic, make sure that you stay cool and calm because there's the fruit of the Spirit, people, you know. That, that, that's kind of the essence of, of a whole lot of good religious discipleship. Um, and, 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 <laughs> and some of us live up to that and then there's the rest of us. 
But, um, <laughs> but to me, it seems fairly rare to grow up through your formative, yeah, your childhood and your formative years in an environment that speaks to who you really are and calls that up. You know, we're in Proverbs where it says, raise the child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it when they're older. We have so often in the church taken that as a moral imperative. In other words, beat the hell out of them when they're really bad, you know, raise them in the way they should go, and they will still be nice, good children when they grow up. That's actually not what that verse is talking about. What it's really saying is, find out how that child is uniquely wired by God and raise them according to that, and then they will not depart from that. This is where I've had too many parents, you know, Deb and I spent 10 years in youth ministry. It was about that long. It was a long time. Um, haven't quite grown out of it yet, but hey. Um, <laughs> no, no, you never, you never really, really grow out of that. Um, where, you know, parents would come in and say, you know, I've got three kids and I raised them all the same and two of them have turned out awesome and one is just in rebellion and in this and I say, okay, what did you just say, Mom? Yeah, I raised them all exactly the same. I'm like, there's your problem right there. That kid is different. You, raised, you, you kind of worked out who those ones were, but that one is different. They're not like the other ones, and you raised them the same. They actually needed to be raised differently because they're different. In other words, part of our job as parents, whether we're physical, you know, natural parents, or whether we're spiritual parents, is to find out how this beautiful thing in front of us is wired and raise them according to that. Are we making sense? So most of us haven't had that. And so this is why I say, if you don't really know what you want, because knowing what you really want, other than I want some nice cold water and a swim right now, I'm kind of talking a little deeper than that, though that's a really legitimate desire. Um, if you don't know what you want, it's because that, that unique voice inside of you that is put there by God hasn't been nurtured, hasn't been pulled to the surface and said, hey, this is who you are. Not, not in a I'm telling you way, but in a, in, a, in a helping them discover way. And therefore, because we're not connected to that or it's been squashed, we don't know the answer. So if you're sitting there going, I don't know the answer, I kind of want, want to take the heat off you a little. And what I particularly want to take off you is shame and condemnation. Because that's not your fault. But let's see that shift, Hey because you're now in an environment that cares deeply about, and in fact, it's one of the things that we care most about is that. One of the things that Deb and I feel like we're, we're put on the planet to do is, is that, is to help people come into the fullness of who they really are. But because we're not nurtured in that, because sometimes that gets squashed, we, we, we learn to build up layers of self-protection, and these, these layers of self-protection become really normal to us. They protect us from pain. They protect us from harm. They protect us from rejection, from failure, from loss. All of those things that none of us want, and understandably so. And the layers work to a degree. The layer, they, they actually, they, they, they work to a degree. In other words, we, we create a version of ourselves that we put out there to the world. And then if that version out there gets rejected, it's like we can cope with that because that's kind of not the real us. But the, the, the fear comes if I put the real me out there and that gets rejected, I don't know how I'm going to handle that. Because somewhere in there, our sense of self-worth is still calibrated to what the world out there thinks and expects of us. Possibly because we haven't been nurtured 
into who we really are and that, that voice of the Father that says, you're my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. That, that, that's the foundation of it all. So we create these layers of protection and we, we, we present that to the world. But then when we get really honest with ourselves, and, and I see this with like, successful people out in the business world all the time, they talk about this thing called the imposter syndrome. I'm really successful on the outside, but if you knew me on the inside, you would think very differently of me than what you do right now. The imposter syndrome. I feel like a fraud. I feel like a fake. Because on the inside, I'm really falling apart, but I've developed this image and this, 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 this version of who I am. And we hide behind that. We hide in all sorts of different things. Some people hide in niceness. I'm just, I'm just really nice. And underneath there is this roar that is wanting to get out. But I'm afraid if it gets out and gets rejected, then I don't know what to do. So I hide in niceness, all while quietly dying on the inside and thinking, is this faith thing really all it's cracked up to be? Um, some, some hide in humour. I've never done this. I don't, I don't know much about this at all. <laughs> and here's the thing. This is a really interesting thing is we can actually hide in some of our strengths. We can hide in things that, are, that really are us, but we kind of put a fake version on it. I don't know if I'm going to explain this particularly well, but for me, I mean, joy and laughter is one of my core values of life. It, it, like, and I'm not just saying that, like genuinely it is because the kingdom, of the, right, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy. Like a third of the kingdom is joy. You're not looking real happy about that. <laughs> okay, a third of the kingdom is joy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And to me, that looks like something. You know, and to me, of all people on the planet, we should be the easiest to bring into joy. And my twisted sense of humour says, therefore, you know, it should be easiest to make you laugh, even with really bad jokes. Like that. See, it worked. Yeah. But I spend, I've spent a good deal of time over my life when I'm feeling really, really crappy on the inside, I just make it fun on the outside because then you don't get into the deep stuff. You can't get close. So I can actually use something that's actually a value and a strength and turn it into something that's, it's, it's, that's a layer of self-protection. Is this making sense? Some people hide in excellence. Now, you might be amazing at what you do. You might be, you might be you know, world-class. You might be brilliant, whether it's you know, at, at your craft in business, at music, at, whatever it is. You, you may be absolutely brilliant, but you hide in that because no one can actually get underneath that and find out what's happening deep on the inside. Some hide in task. Let's just get stuff done, people. <laughs> um, I had a team that called themselves, uh, that I work with in the business world, and they called themselves GST, GSD, sorry. I called it, we get stuff done. They had another saying for that, which I won't talk about now, but that was their, their motto, was, we get stuff done. But trying to get below the surface of some of the tasky stuff was actually a little bit difficult to solve what was going on, and there was actually a hiding in tasks that was happening. And then, you know, the reality is there's always something to be done. Always something to be done. 
But this hiding thing is as old as the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what Adam and Eve did once they realised, oh my goodness, I'm naked? Which is like, it doesn't take much to realise that, typically, I would hope. <laughs> anyway, don't go there. Um, so the first thing they did was they sewed fig leaves together. They hid the parts that they thought weren't acceptable. They hid the parts that they felt ashamed of. And it is the same today. We, we hide the things that we're not happy with, the things that we think are not presentable, the things that we think might get us rejected. And I want to suggest that many of us are more familiar with the masquerade version of ourselves than we are the real us. And that, that's, that's a bit, I find that a bit confronting. You know, I remember a, a number of years ago, um, a real key prophetic figure in my life just spoke this word that, you know, it's like, you know, you know who you are to a degree, yeah, to, to a quite a good degree, but God's shaping you and bringing out stuff that you've never seen and the stuff that you don't even know to be you yet. And I actually found that quite confronting because I didn't know what was going to come out. I didn't know kind of what was buried deep inside there. And I'd kind of settled into this version of me that I was happy and comfortable with. And God came in and said, hey, dude, there's a whole lot more. So, so I get that, but many of us are more familiar with the masquerade than we are with the real us. I remember, again, I was on a corporate program and we spent kind of two and a bit days. They don't know that when they come in. It's called a personal effectiveness program, which is a great front for let's get into your heart, pull it to pieces, get your pain really to the surface and start getting some healing in there. It's awesome. And um, during one of the activities on the first afternoon, he got pretty vulnerable and shared some stuff. But yeah, he just battled anger all the time. And he was a guy that was probably about this tall. He was probably about this wide. And he had a big booming radio voice. And he had young kids that he used to let that big booming radio voice go on quite regularly. But he hated the fact that he did that. And um, so, you know, he had some kind of insights around this group activity that we did in the afternoon. And he was really courageous and vulnerable in sharing that. And I said to him afterwards, hey, after dinner... Um, come back to my room, let's have a chat. And he was really keen for that. And for probably an hour and a half, two hours, we just sat there and he just started talking through his story of always being squashed into this mould, particularly by his parents, of, you know, you should be like this, you should be like this. And, and, and he, he sat there and went, you know, in his big booming radio voice, you know, I've created this version of myself in order to be acceptable to everyone else and I don't even like it and they rejected it too and what the, was the point and... And even though he was sounding cranky and the like, it was actually a revelation moment, kind of. It was an aha moment mixed with a whole lot of emotion coming out with it. So we probably spent a couple of hours at that and unpacked that. And he was just starting to really, like stuff was really, really happening for this guy. And, you know, it probably got to, I think it got to about midnight and we kind of said, okay, this is, really, this is good. Why don't we call it a night? Let's get a decent night's sleep. We've got a whole day ahead of us tomorrow. Let's see what happens. You, you're cool with that? And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. It's really great. Anyway, so in the morning, just before breakfast, I, um, I sidled up to him and went, how you doing? And he's like, you have no idea how good I'm doing. <laughs> I'm like, talk to me. He said, about 3.30, 4 in the morning, I woke up, went to the bathroom, and I couldn't get back to sleep. And I stood there in front of the mirror, and I looked myself in the eye. Like, okay. And he said, I started having this conversation with myself. I started going... You're not like this, are you? No, no, that's a fact. You're not like that. You're like this, aren't you? Yes, that's what... And for about half an hour, he had this conversation with himself in the mirror where he basically introduced himself to himself <laughs> for the first time. 
And in the morning, he is on the phone to his wife using very flowery language saying, I am so bleeping amazed at what is happening and this is work is paying for this. Like, <laughs> this is what can happen. And that was, I mean, I was, he didn't know it, but I was kind of doing some deliverance stuff on him um, and, and, you know, really breaking lies and doing that whole thing. And, um, and you know, thankfully it, it got some breakthrough. But to me, that was like the epitome of someone starting to come out of the layers of self-protection, out of the masquerade version of themselves and starting to step into who they really were. And he felt so powerful in that moment that he didn't need, he, he felt the need to do the anger thing with his children just left him. Now, three months later, we ran another one of these programs for the same organisation and one of his direct reports was on the program. And I, of course, was really curious to know how this guy was going. And, you know, she didn't know the whole story behind all of that. Um, but she'd experienced him and his booming radio voice. Um, and I said, hey, how's he doing? And he's like, three months down, he's doing really good. He is a different guy. You know, when, when you meet you, a whole lot of insecurity drops off. And you start becoming comfortable in your own skin in a whole other way. And then when someone asks you what you want, it naturally just goes, well, this is what I want. This is what I'm about. This is who I am. This is what happens to the atmosphere when I walk in the room. And that's not arrogance. You know, in Australia, we, we, we kind of get a bit nervous about that kind of stuff because we've got that tall poppy thing going on. But that's not, knowing who you are is not arrogant. You know, people say, well, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. What we've missed is how highly we ought to think of ourselves. That was a good word. should write that down. <laughs> so I want to give us, in a very short time, a couple of quick things to help each other like, come out, for want of a better word. Yeah. See? This is what happens when you start to come out, baby. That is perfect. That is, like, so cool. So here's a couple of really practical things that we can help each other come out. And then, um, and then some things that you can do to help yourself come out and find the real you, and then I want to land it. Number one is, with each other, we need to celebrate every attempt at stepping into who we are. And I'm not saying celebrate every success. I'm saying celebrate every attempt, even if that attempt looks like shoop, flat on your face. We need to get good at celebrating when people have a go. And there's a couple of people I've been talking to recently that are, that are stepping out into things that are new, like stepping out into business ventures and the like. And I actually said to them, you know what? Whether this succeeds or fails actually isn't the point. And of course I pray that it does. But whether you succeed or fail in this isn't the point. The point is you're stepping into something that is on your heart and you're giving it a go. And I'm going to celebrate that no matter what the outcome is. So when we only celebrate perfection... When we only celebrate success, it builds into a culture that the only people that get celebrated are the perfect successful ones, and none of us really feel like that person. And that is the antithesis of we only do real, which is one of our core values, and you can see it written on our thing there. That's one of our core values. So if we're going to do real, we celebrate every attempt. I remember having a conversation with someone, and um, when something they tried didn't go so well, and I said, you know what? Yeah, it was 50-50. But if you don't show up next week and give it the same passion you gave it this week, I'm so going to kick your butt. Because the point is not whether you get it right. The point is you're starting to express who you really are. And we're not always going to get it right, nor are we meant to. You know, the funny thing is, and I don't know if I've said this recently here, but 
One of the differences in business between Australia, Australia and England and Australia, England and the US is in Australia and England culture, if you have a number of failures on your resume, an employer is nervous about employing you. In the US, if you don't have a number of failures on your resume, they're nervous about employing you because you haven't put yourself out there enough. You haven't tried enough. It's a whole different mindset. Like, who, who's to say that you trying something and failing isn't actually contributing? I mean, uh, is it a conf... Okay, just this little story. And then about seven more, but... Um, I was at a, a conference on creativity and innovation um, not long before Christmas down in Melbourne, and um, I think it was David Gonski. You know the Gonski Review that everyone talked about in education? Well, this, this is that guy. This is the Gonski who did the Gonski Review. He's the chairman of ANZ Bank and I think University of Western Sydney and all of that. Really well-known guy. Um, and he was having a conversation with a scientist guy that he knew, and he was about to find out, I think, the next day whether the research project he'd been working on for eight years was actually valid, like whether his, his theory that he'd been working on to prove was actually valid. And he said to him, you must be a bit nervous, like eight years of work, and you're about to find out whether this was valid. And the guy said, much back to Gonski's shock, he said, I'm not nervous at all. He said, the results tomorrow... It doesn't matter. So whether I've proved the theory or, or the theory is proved to not be true, I've still contributed to science. I've still contributed to that field of research by showing that this theory that has been out there actually isn't true. And now we're closer to finding what is. Do you see the different mindset? And we, we're so not great at this in the kingdom, you know? At least not in the West. Because we have this view of everything must be perfect and... I don't think Jesus celebrates perfection. I think he celebrates you stepping out and being you. I thought that was a way better point again than... So celebrate every attempt. And then with that, we should expect failure of each other. That's number two, expect failure. In other words, not from a mediocre perspective, like everything we do is so going to be a train wreck, it's going to... No, I'm not talking about that. But if we're not having enough failures, we're not trying enough. If we're not getting absolutely, like, rejected on the streets while trying to love on people, we're probably not trying enough. I remember Chris Vallotton sharing a message once where he basically shared a litany of all of his most epic failures from business through to deliverance ministry gone bad and all of these things. It was one of the funniest things I've probably ever heard. And one of the things he said, you know, if you own a four-wheel drive and you've never got that thing stuck, there's a whole lot of country you haven't seen. In other words... You're not being adventurous enough. You've never got, if you've never got your four-wheel drive stuck, you ain't been out there enough. Are we making sense? Yep. So that's celebrate every attempt, expect failure. Third one is expect passion from each other. Expect it. See, our Aussie culture is so, she'll be right, mate. Yeah, yeah no, stay cool. That ain't the kingdom. There's a piece that is the kingdom. You know, the kind of hakuna matata. There's a part of that that is like, we're not going to let our peace get rocked. That is the kingdom. But being bland and vanilla, that ain't. Yeah, it, the God who fills the entire universe has put all of his fullness in you. That, that's, that's some power and life in there, hey? That's not boring. All right, I'll move on then. 
<laughs> so that's celebrate every attempt, expect failure, expect passion from each other. And then fourth one, champion each other's dreams even when we don't understand them or they're different to ours. We haven't always been good when someone has a dream that's a little eclectic, it's a little bit out there, it's new or it's pioneering new territory. We're kind of like, oh, you know, maybe you should get a really good job and get a foundation. Like, no, when someone has a dream in the heart, let's celebrate. Now, if God gives us wisdom for them, sure, but, but wisdom doesn't make something smaller and more boring and more safe. That's not wisdom. If you actually look at wisdom in Scripture, it is the party animal of heaven. Look in Proverbs, I think chapter 8. I, wisdom, was there when the worlds were created. Okay, the person of wisdom was there. So wisdom is actually a creative force. And it says, essentially, I was there celebrating. I was there partying through this creative process. Ephesians 3 talks about that we as the church will make known to the principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God. That is not the manifold boredom safety of God. That is powerful stuff. So wisdom is going to make something bigger, not smaller and safer. I didn't plan to say that, but that was good. I'm going to write that down too. (laughs) So they were four quick things helping each other come out. Now, helping yourself come out. It starts with giving your voice permission. It starts with giving yourself permission to say, what do I want? How do I really feel about that? See, a lot of us actually cooperate with the squashing by squashing our own voice. We, we feel things, we discern certain things, but because we're worried about how that might be taken, we kind of shut it down and go, oh, no, I can't be right. And then we wonder why we feel confused. When we shut down our own voice, it leads to huge amounts of confusion, especially when we do that in spirit. You end up with this foggy cloud around you and you don't know what's going on. So give your voice permission. Give yourself permission to try stuff. Even when it involves doing stuff that's way different to what the typical culture around you would say that this is what you should do with your life. I had a conversation with someone this week and I said, you know what, even if you take the next five years to find your voice and work out what you really want and who you really are, what you're going to manifest and demonstrate for the years that follow is going to be so off the chart, it's worth it. Even if you take 10 years to work it out, what you're going to manifest in the subsequent 10 years is going to be so much more powerful than you just plodding around trying to do what everyone else thinks you should do. Are we making sense? Okay, I'm going to bring this into land. Almost. So that's give your voice permission. And it's worth taking time to do. Even when everyone else is saying, yeah, you should get a job by now. Yeah, you should be doing so. You should be earning money. You should, what? Yeah, all the shoulds. I say stuff the shoulds. Down with should. Other than I should stop shooting on myself. But even that's a should. Anyway. And then here's the other bit. For most of us, there were skill deficits in our families of origin. In our families growing up, there were life skill deficits that still hold us back today. So maybe your family didn't do conflict well. Maybe your family didn't do emotions well. Um, maybe your family, I said, avoided hard conversations. Uh, maybe they emotionally punished, they manipulated, they ignored. Maybe love was very conditional and they didn't know how to, to navigate through tough stuff or, or you being different to the rest. Here's the thing. 
those skill deficits will actually undermine you becoming the fullness of who you really are. And if you can recognize them, you start sowing into those skill sets as a part of building your core. So I was having a conversation with another church I've been working with and um, one of the statements that I found coming out of my mouth was, a good relational skill set is spiritual warfare. A good relational skill set is spiritual warfare. It's not natural soulish stuff over there and we should be focused on the spiritual stuff over here. Watched it too many times in community when we don't have good relational and conflict skill sets. The enemy can get in and bring division so much easier, can bring discouragement to us because we don't know how to have some of those hard conversations and there are skills that we can learn. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit more um, as the weeks go on, but I just want to put it out there. Starts with giving your own voice permission, but I also want to say building skill sets is critical in this. And if you can recognize that there were things that your family growing up did not do well, you would do so well to start investing in some of those because you're going to feel empowered at a whole other level. If you don't know where to start, one of the, things, one of the questions you can ask is, well, where do I feel stuck? And let's just start working there. If you don't know what you want, you probably want to be unstuck in a certain area. So let's start there. Often I think the easiest places to start is, like sometimes peeling back the layers is the most important way to go. And I often say, start with your pain. Okay, where, where, where your heart, where your emotions, where, where your world has experienced pain, loss, grief, abuse, whatever it is, let's start there. Let's start healing that. Okay, because none of us actually usually want to live with the aftermath of all of that. So let's start with our pain and then from there we need to move out of powerlessness. We need to start to go after the beliefs that say, oh, that will never change. Yeah, the, the despair and the hopelessness or I could never do that. And maybe you're not meant to do that so it doesn't matter. Or maybe, heck yeah, you can if you just learnt the skill set and had the right support around you. So out of pain, out of powerlessness, and that's when you start to step into the fullness of who you really are. So if you don't know where to start, start peeling back the layers that are there. Okay, I hide in niceness. Where did I learn to do that? Oh, that goes back there. Okay, I learned that, you know, in my family of origin, love, was att- yeah, love and affection and affirmation was attached to, oh, you're so nice. But when I was a bit more verbose and out there, which is really more the true me, that was a bit frowned upon. Is this making sense? So sometimes to get to the core, you have to peel back the layers that are at the surface. And actually, sometimes that's a safer way to work back. You know, sometimes Jesus just comes in with the sword of the Spirit and goes whoosh and pulls it out. I'd want that to be him. Because when he does it, it doesn't mess everything else up. When we try to go to the core too soon, sometimes it messes stuff up and creates chaos. So sometimes the smart place to start is by peeling back the layers. Let, let me throw a couple of things out there and then I'm going to pray. This is a, I, I'm not sure if this is a quote from someone, but this is a, a, this is a thing that um, a friend of mine and I have been playing around with and challenging each other with. And, and the sentence is, reality bends around those who live from their true core. Reality bends around those who live from their true core. In other words, there is a spiritual power released when you live from who you are. In fact, Romans 8 says that the whole earth is groaning in expectation, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. That word revealed literally means unveiled. It's the word apocalypsis. 
uncovered or unveiled. In other words, the whole of creation is groaning in an intercessory way, waiting for us to step into the fullness of who we really are. Because that releases shockwaves in the spiritual realm that change things. So reality bends around those who live from their true identity. You don't like what's happening around you. As you start to step into who you really are, that's going to change what's happening around you. I love this quote from Nelson Mandela. Everything is impossible until it's done. That's impossible until it's done. This is a quote, some of you have heard of me a number of times, a quote from Howard Thurman, who was a theologian from the early 1900s. He says, don't do what the world needs. Do what makes you come alive because what the world needs is people who have come alive. I love that. Don't do what the world needs. Don't go with the flow of the expectation, but do what makes you come alive because that's what the world really needs is people who have come alive. St. Arrhenius said, the glory of God is you fully alive. The glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's not a series of good revival meetings. That is the sons and daughters of God stepped into the fullness of who they really are, living out of that, and that releases the glory. Some of you may have heard this. This is a quote from uh, Marianne Williamson. I love this. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is in us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Come on, let's stand. I'll put that up on Storkbook if you like. Facebook, whatever it's called. Now, I want to give you a question to take away that I want you to put before Jesus. And you may ask him now, or you may, but even if you ask him right now and you get an answer, I want you to keep this question in front of him over the next few days, possibly over the next week. And the question is this, simply, Jesus, where do I hide? Where do I hide? Where do I hide? And let him start to show you. For me, I can hide in extroversion. Others can hide in introversion. Some can hide in niceness. Others can hide in nastiness. There's no definitive list. But ask Jesus, where do I hide? And then when you get an idea of the answer to that, then ask him, what am I hiding from? Let's start the conversation there. Where do I hide? What am I hiding from? Now, what I want to do to finish off is I want to make a declaration. 
And if you're in agreement with it, I want you to, to do it along with me. And I'm not going to force anyone to do this, but I want to tell you what it is so that you can agree with it rather than just do it and you go, oh, that was interesting. What I want to make a declaration over is the masquerade version of our, ourselves that is so familiar begins to separate from who we really are and we can actually begin to see it for what it is. Now, do not do this lightly. Okay, this is a gutsy, courageous declaration. It is not for the faint-hearted. But to me, the alternative is utterly miserable, so hey. <laughs> do not do this if you're happy with the imposter. But I suspect not many of us are. So I'm going to make a declaration over us including myself, to give permission for the masquerade, for any masquerade version of myself that is not the core true me to begin to separate so that I can see it for what it is. And then from there, Jesus and I can start to talk about it and we can start to work it through. This is a process. It's not about let's get this all done on the ministry floor right now and send you away. I'm a little more realistic than that. For some of us, it's taken us 30, 40 years to get to where we are often takes more than three or four minutes. And if Jesus removed the masquerade from you right now, you'd probably fall apart because you wouldn't know how to function. So it's actually okay. It's actually wisdom that this takes time because it's going to go deeper. So just let's all close our eyes for a second. And I, just, I, I want a response, but I want everyone's eyes shut because for the moment, because this is vulnerable, I just, if, if you're saying, yes, I want that masquerade to separate, I just want you to pop your hand up now when no one else is looking, just by, as an act, a way of activating your own faith. Yes, I'm with that. Okay, put your hand down now. I'm going to pray. Actually, I think I want us to do this out loud. So let's, those of us who are doing it, let's do it loud. And those who are not, that means you can still hide in the crowd and that's okay because there's grace for all of that too. Jesus, I acknowledge that I've created layers of self-protection because I've been fearful I've been fearful of rejection, of pain, of hurt, of a whole lot of things. My voice may not have been nurtured or it may have been squashed. I give permission now for the masquerade version of myself, for that imposter to start to separate from me to separate from my sense of who I am, from how I see my own personality, for how my emotions feel, and for what I expect from myself and others. I declare separate from me so I can see you clearly. And then I can meet the real me. Jesus, I welcome you into that process because I can't do this alone. I didn't get here alone, so I'm not going to get out alone. So come, Jesus, take me on a journey. Show me the real me. Show me who I really am. 
and help me to hear the Father's voice that says, I am his beloved child in whom he is well pleased. In Jesus' name. Now, Jesus, I want to pray over this amazing group of people here. God, your grace, your love, your affirmation, I declare protection and hiding from the enemy through this process who would love to throw in all sorts of accusation and fiery darts. And we say no. We just declare this process covered by the blood of Jesus. We declare this process covered and infused by the power of Jesus. And I want to prophesy over us as a community, the glory of God is you fully alive. And I say in 2017, come alive, come alive, come alive. Be free to be who you really are and let the world feel the full force of who you are in Him, in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Why don't you turn around and pray for each other for just a moment and then you're free to go when you need to go. Bless you.